sorry, we're still playing with the uh, sound settings on all our new toys, so you'll have to forgive us. Anyways, all right. So tonight we're going to be in the book of Acts, chapter 12, verses 1 through 19. So it'll be up on, the, uh, up on the board for you. And the title of tonight's message is, What Are You Expecting? Okay? Because in some senses, what you're expecting doesn't necessarily make something come true, right? Um, I don't know if you've heard this, but there's this whole movement going on now that if you just speak something in faith, you know, it's going to manifest, well, I'm sorry, the Bible doesn't say anything about that anywhere, ever. If you speak something in faith, I don't care how much faith you have. If God says no, the answer is no, dog. It's just that simple, you know. And the same way, if you believe with all your might that gravity doesn't exist, jump, I dare you. <laughs> You're still falling, okay? However, the flip side of that is having um, unreal expectations or really not having expectations that we should have can very negatively ex uh, uh, impact our lives because we kind of, we act um, according to our expectations in, in many ways. And so I want to start by reading a verse actually from Isaiah 64, verse 4. And it says this, that for since the beginning of the world, men have not heard nor perceived by the ear, nor has the eye seen any God besides you who acts for the one who waits for him. Lately, that's been a real kind of anchor point um, for me and for a lot of other people um, as we are waiting on the Lord um, to do some pretty awesome things. But we have confidence and we have expectations in our waiting because we know, for one, God shows himself to be the God who acts for those willing to wait. And secondly, because we've seen it true over and over and over and over in our life without fail. Um, with that being said, we have a pretty significant problem in the church today. And this problem is unbelief. Unbelief, right? Which maybe we could call that um, unfaithfulness. And some people might say, well, if, they're, if we're, they're in the church, if they're Christians, how can you say they, they, don't have, they don't have a belief, right? Well, they might have some belief. I've got to put this up before I keep throwing my pick everywhere. I lose these, like, probably five a day. Um, they might have some belief, but we don't always believe to the full extent that Christ is calling us to believe. We don't always trust to the full extent that God wants us to trust, right? And so... Um, the church as a whole has this problem. We're not willing to wait on God. To really wait and to push our desires out of the way, push our timing out of the way, and just see what the Lord will do. And really, the only reason we're, we're not willing to do that so often is because we don't truly believe He will. Or we're unsure what he'll do. And so there's this seed of unbelief in the church. And uh, the problem is with that, well, let me just say this. Let me, let me prove it to you, actually. 
So we have this issue of unbelief, and, and I can prove it to you simply by looking at people's prayer lives and the prayer life of the church as a whole, right? So everywhere I go, I, I'm, I go to several different churches, several different groups. I go to conferences. Um, I, I, I fellowship with the body all over the place, right, outside of a little friendship Bible here, okay? And what I see um, at the conferences, what I see at the other churches, what I see at the small groups, what I see on Shriner campus, what we see in America as a whole is that people, most people, are not eagerly searching for time to pray. They're not. They're not going through their day just trying to get this next thing done so they can just stop and pray for the, to the Lord for a minute. They're not looking for a quiet place to go maybe even work by themselves so that they can spend five, ten minutes, you know, talking to the Lord and asking for provision, asking for patience with their coworkers, asking for finances for them, asking for blessings on their employer who pays them. Hello. People don't have an earnest desire to do that. People don't have an earnest desire to turn off the TV and just sit quietly and just dwell in the presence of God. And I don't even have to know a whole lot of people to know that. Because if people really had that desire, then the church as a whole would come together and we would see church bodies doing that. And for the most part, we don't. We don't. But, you know, we really should be. We should be looking for, for time to spend with the Lord, and we should be calling even others together with us to do that because if we really believed that we have a God who hears our prayers, if we really believed that we have a God who is able to answer and a God who's willing to act for those who wait on him, We'd be delighted, and we would probably even see a deep need in ourselves for that, right? And so when we don't, we're actually missing out on greater blessings uh, from God. And if we're not waiting on God, if we're not coming together, if we're not eagerly seeking him as a body, how can we say as a church that we're walking and ministering in faith? So I want you to read with me Acts chapter 12, verses 1 through 19. It says this. Now about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some of the church. Then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread. So when he had arrested Peter... He put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. And when Herod was about to bring him out that night, Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers, and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison. And he struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly! And his chains fell off his hands. Then the angel said to him, Gird yourself and tie your sandals. And so he did. 
And he said to Peter, put on your garment and follow me. So he went out and followed him and did not know that what was done by the angel was real, but he thought he was seeing a vision. When they were past the first and the second guard post, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them of its own accord. And they went out and went down one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. When Peter had come to himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. So when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered praying, or together praying. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a girl named Rhonda came to answer. When she recognized Peter's voice, because of her gladness, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter stood before the gate. But they said to her, you are beside yourself. Yet she keep insisting that it was so. So they said, well, it's his angel. Now Peter continued knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. But motioning to them with his hands to keep silent, he declared to them how the Lord had brought him out of prison. And he said, go, tell these things to James and the brethren. And he departed and went to another place. Then as soon as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers about what had become of Peter. But when Herod had searched for him and not found him, he examined the guards and commanded that they should be put to death. And he went down from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. So when I was reading through this passage and, and praying and just kind of allowing the Lord to, to speak to me about what we were going to share, I, what came to my attention were these two, these two focal points, at least for me. And the first one is, is that I, I'm going to share with you what I saw. And what I saw was a very small but damaging thing in the midst of the church. And a very small but damaging thing that I think is still in the midst of our churches today. And secondly, there is this, uh, this kind of ongoing war of expectations. There is these expectations that the world has versus the expectations that we as a church body should have and should maintain. So I'll explain this to you, but let's, let's go back to the first uh, couple verses. So it's kind of interesting. We don't know why Herod is persecuting the church necessarily, right? It doesn't tell us why he, uh, he goes and he kills James and why he's stretching out his hand. But what we do know is that there's this pretty clear consensus um, at this point that Christians are a problem, right? And this all started with Jesus. You got to understand, we don't, we don't always grasp it. There were these dudes called zealots. And zealots were basically like little Jewish assassins. They hated the Romans, the Roman Empire, right? And so here's this guy, Jesus, coming around through Jerusalem, owned by Rome, and people are calling him a king. And so there's this guy who everybody's calling a king who now has this massive gathering of thousands of people following him all around the countryside. And in the midst of his gathering of thousands of people who they're calling king, he has zealots amongst his followers. How do you think that sits with the Roman guard? 
okay? Where there's only one king, there's only one emperor, and it's Caesar to them, right? So there's already a stir there. Plus, we, we know, or most of us know, that the Jewish leadership hated Jesus for a completely different reason. Because he was getting the fame, he was getting the glory that they wanted for themselves. And when he declared himself to be God, rather than accepting the truths, rather than accepting the signs, rather than accepting the wonders, they crucified him. And it's always, it's always strange to me that this man, you know, who was a carpenter and a, and a rabbi, you know what he did? He preached the gospel of the kingdom. When people came to the, him and they were sick, you know what he did? He healed them. When lepers came by and they had to cover their mouth and say unclean, rather, he removed their leprosy and they were able to go show themselves before the priest. When people were demon-possessed, he cast them out. Everything he did was good. Everything he did was good. And yet when he was taken before Pontius Pilate and he was examined by the Roman ruler of that time, Pontius Pilate said, I find no fault in this man. None. None. Yet because of, of the hearts of the Pharisee and the hearts of the people, <laughs> they were yelling out, crucify him. Crucify him. He say, he, Pilate even said, what has this man done that he deserves to be crucified? And they yelled out all the more, crucify him. And if you don't, you're no friend of Caesar, which basically was a threat that he would be accused of treason. It was a threat. And so because of these people's expectation of what they wanted done with Jesus, Pilate handed him over, and he was crucified, he was killed, and he took the judgment of our sins upon himself. And after he, raised, he, was, uh, he, he was raised again, he sent his Holy Spirit, and immediately the apostles began to pick up that same ministry. And because they picked up the same ministry, you know what else they picked up? The same reproach. The same shame. The same hatred from the world. And so we kind of have a similar issue here where Herod um, is, is coming against the church. And after killing James, you know what happens? It says, let's see, in verse 3, And because he saw that it pleased the Jews he proceeded further to seize Peter also. And so he kills James. The Jews are happy, and so he seeks Peter. And he's doing this because he thinks, hey, you know, if I'm not a friend to these Christians, if I'm not a friend to this foreign God, I'm going to gain favor with the world. And for someone trying to, to rule a region, this seems pretty smart. And so um, he's planning to have him executed. And what do you think? What do you think the expectation of the people was at this point? We've already seen Jesus crucified. We've already seen um, Stephen killed. Right, he was stoned to death. Now we've seen J James killed by the sword, and the same guy who killed J James now has Peter in prison. What do you think the expectation was? 
that as soon as the feast is over, he's dead. He's dead. No one else escaped, right? Makes sense. He's the king. No one's going to tell him what to do, right? From all the expectations of the world, it would seem if I was there personally, I'd be like, well, you know, can I have your PlayStation? You know, it's over. There's no, there's, what are you going to do for the man? You can't bond him out. You can't bail him out. So it would look to me, and I'm sure to the people, that there's really not much hope for Peter at this point. And, but this is the thing. This is what the world always expects, especially when it comes to, to God, when it comes to Jesus Christ, when it comes to Christians. They always expect that they really have the way to go and that to follow the Lord would be a foolish thing and that sooner or later, they might not tell you this, but sooner or later what they expect is the way you live and the trust that you have in your faith is one day going to blow up on you. One day it's just going to pop and burst. And that's the expectation of the world. God's not, Jesus isn't going to magically fix your problems. You've got to work for it, right? God wouldn't, God wouldn't judge people and send people to hell. I mean, if he's really there and he's really good, right? God hasn't healed any of my family of cancer or sickness or disease. Why would he do it to you? And so these, there's these very real and very apparent expectations that the world has about how things should work and, and how we, <laughs> you know, should walk according to those things. And here with Peter, it's, it's not much different. And I'm ashamed to say, however, that many times as Christians, we, we fall into the same pattern. Right, where we kind of lose hope, and rather than understanding what expectations we should have in the Lord, we start to default back to the expectations of the world. We see people who they have a, they have a couple of bad relationships, and so they believe this lie that, hey, look, nobody could love me. I mean, isn't it obvious? No, one, no one's going to love me. It hasn't worked out before. Why would it work out any differently now? We have people who, you know, they've, they've walked for a while, and then they have temptation, and they fall, and they stumble, and they hear that voice from Satan, and he comes and says, See, you're no different. You're not going to change. And it's all a lie. We have the same thing with finances, with jobs. We have, we have Christians who are going through a, um, divorces. And a lot of times the divorces that I, I feel could easily be fixed. But there's not an immediate act where it looks like it's going their way. And they say, you know what? I guess the world is right. I guess the world is right. And it's, you know, we see it in the Bible, too, because you know what happened when Jesus was crucified? You know, all those faithful disciples, all those faithful apostles, you know what they did when Jesus was crucified? They scattered. They scattered. And they hid. And in fact, after Jesus rose again, he was walking on the road to Emmaus, and he meets two of his disciples, and they don't even realize it's him, and they're talking. And one of the things they said is, we had hoped. We had hoped that this Jesus was the one. 
we had hope that he was going to be the Messiah. What do you mean had hoped? What happened to the hope? Somewhere along the way, when things didn't go exactly how they wanted them to go, they let go of that faith. They let go of the belief. And now it was, well, we had hope. And the risen Lord is standing right next to him. And so what we do so easily is we leave the expectation of glory that God has called us to, and we accept a state of defeat. And we don't have to. You know, the, the, the disciples and those two on the road to Emmaus, they had accepted defeat that, hey, it's all over. All this, all this, these three years we've sacrificed of our life, all this following Jesus, none of it panned out. They had already accepted that. And yet standing right next to him is Jesus Christ raised again, who just a little while later revealed himself to them and to the rest of the apostles, and to 500 other who all saw him risen. And there was no defeat. There was victory. They just had to wait a little longer to see it. And so many times, that's us in our life. You know, we fall into the same thing today, but we have to look at what is the testimony that God has shown us. Because if we had a testimony of a God who never showed up, it would make sense to to assume he's not going to show up again. You know, what hope do Hindus have? What hope do Muslims have? What hope does, do Buddhists have? Nothing, really. I mean, maybe some one day, if I do it right, somewhere hope. But none of them have a God who has ever showed up for anybody, for anything, ever. But man, we have testimony and testimony and decree and decree and fulfilled prophecy after fulfilled prophecy to declare that we have a God who shows up for those who wait. And personally in our own lives, we have time after time where we know that God shows up. And so I'm thankful that in some respects, even though that there's a pretty general expectation for Peter on on what's going to happen, he's done, right? that we do at least see something different with the church here at this time. And we see in verses 5 through 11, it says, Peter was therefore kept in prison. But look at this. But constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. And when Herod was about to bring him out that night, Peter was sleeping. And what happened? An angel appears. And he loosens his chains. And he stands him up and he walks him straight out of prison. The door says that the gates just open before them. Right? And in verse 11, it says, And when Peter had come to himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. All of the expectation of the Jewish people. Have you ever been in a, uh, a situation, a particular situation, or maybe just a season of life? Maybe you have a, 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 a rougher background like, uh, like some of the people here. And there was a time when you'd given your life to Christ and you began to walk and you realized nobody around you was for that. 
Nobody around you was in support of that, right? In fact, everybody's usually against it. That's usually, that's the general model. Unless your whole family is already saved, the general model is you come to Christ, nobody likes it. And there's that expectation that you're just going to fall back into your own ways. But God has called us to something better, to deliver us from the circumstances of our life, to deliver us from sin and death, but also to deliver us from the expectations of the world. And so we see here that in the middle of this crisis, while Peter is still in chains, he's been there for days, even the night before he's going to get murdered. This is the night, the middle of the night, before he's going to wake up and be executed. Even still, the church has gathered together, and they're offering constant prayers before God. And I love that it says constant prayer because that tells us very specifically this was not a one-off prayer. Right? You get the, uh, you get the pray, hey, pray for me on Facebook and you, you throw up a little thumb tag and maybe you, you know, pray real quick and then you move on and totally forget about it. That's not what this was. This was not a, well, you know, it's time to, it's time to eat, so I'm going to say thank you, Lord, for my food and move on. This is not a, well, you know, uh, Granny's home and she's real religious, so let's make sure we, you know, pray over whatever. No, 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 no. They were in constant prayer, day after day. And even to the point that in the middle of the night, in the middle of the night before his execution, they're still up asking that the Lord would deliver Peter from the king and from all the expectations of the people. And of course, what happens? At the last moment, God delivers, delivers him. And, you know, I don't know why I could, I could give you my opinion, but many times in my own life, God doesn't answer when I begin to pray. God doesn't answer in the middle of my prayer. God takes me right up to, I'm at the edge of the cliff, and Lord, if you don't show up, I'm gone. And right as I take the last step, boom, he shows up. Almost all the time it happens like that. Not always. Sometimes he, you know, God's good. So sometimes he just likes being extra good and answering prayers right away. But a lot of times he makes us wait. And really it's for our own good. It's for our own faith to have to go through that struggle and to, and to, to be tested to see, are you really going to trust God? When Jesus says to seek, are you going to keep seeking? When he says to ask, are you going to keep asking? When he says to knock, are you going to keep knocking? Because many times at that last moment, when God showed up, I know if I would have stopped somewhere before, I would have totally missed the blessing that God had poured out for me. God still answers prayers. That's never changed. Yet, in the midst of this, there's still a small problem. And like I said, that problem becomes unbelief. So in verses 12 through 17, after Peter had considered what had happened to him, it says that he goes to Mary's house, and there the, the other brothers are gathered praying for Peter. And this is really interesting. I check this out. In verse 14, it says that when she, Rhonda, recognized Peter's voice, because of her gladness, she did not even open the gate. She just ran in and announced that Peter was standing outside. Look at what they said to her, verse 15. But they said to, to her, you are beside yourself. 
Yet she kept insisting. And they said, well, it's not really Peter. Maybe it's his angel. Whatever the heck that means, right? Now Peter kept knocking. And when they had opened the door, they saw him. Look at this. And they were astonished. So first they said, look, woman, you're acting a little crazy. (laughs) Then they said, no, you're just tripping. And then they finally see him. And they're amazed. They can't believe what's right before their eyes. They've been praying for multiple days for deliverance from God. They've been gathering together even into the middle of the night, praying, Lord, deliver Peter. And three times they deny the fact that Peter has showed up. That seems kind of strange. Does anybody else think that's kind of strange? You know, What that shows is that somewhere deep down, there was not really a steadfast expectation that God was going to answer that prayer. There was not a real serious hope that, yes, Peter is going to show back up here, and he's going to be well, and he's going to be delivered. Somewhere in there, that was missing. Because if that wasn't missing, when he showed up, they would have said, praise God, we've been waiting for you. Right? Praise God, we've been waiting for you. Now, thankfully, we have a God who's faithful to answer. We have a God who, shoot, God is faithful even when we're not faithful. You know, God is just good. And in our weakness, God is what? He's strong. He proves himself, right? And so I'm thankful that on everything is based on my performance because I would be totally screwed. But we have too much evidence. We have too many witnesses in our own lives to doubt that God is going to answer our prayers. There's too many reasons not to doubt. And even furthermore, Jesus calls us to pray. You know one of the you know one of the commands of the Bible is pray without ceasing. Pray everywhere at all times for all things. Right? Jesus says, you know, daily when you pray, pray like this. And that even that we're called to come together in supplications and and serious prayer and to come together as a body and do that. But many times we're in the same boat where maybe we do pray. But as we're praying, if you were honest with yourself, Maybe there are some things that you're not really expecting God to answer. You're just not. Maybe you're praying because you need to pray, but you're not just waiting day after day expecting to see that fulfillment of that prayer. And if that's true, I want to encourage you that, man, you're praying wrong. We're praying wrong. Why would God not, if it, unless it's something outside of his will, why would he not answer when he himself said, seek and you will find? Ask and it will be given. Knock and the door will be opened. That was his own words. I'm not telling you to do that. Christ is telling you to do that. He says, anything you ask in my name, I will do it. And in James it says, you don't have because you don't ask. 
And if you do ask and you haven't received, it's because you asked with wrong motives. So don't do that, right? Don't do that. Go read about that. Don't do that. But we've been called to a life of prayer to a God who is more than able, who is exceedingly greater. He can do exceedingly more and greater things than anything we could ask. And to me, what it all comes down to is this scripture in Hebrews 11, verse 6. It says this. But without faith, it is impossible to please God. Right? So first of all, to even, to even please the Lord, we have to have faith. For he who comes to God has to do two basic things. First of all, you've got to believe that he is. That one tends to be a given. But this second one is crucial. We also have to believe that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. We have to believe that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And when I look at the church as a whole, I'm afraid because I see a whole lot of people who don't have that expectation. And I know they don't have it because if we believed that God was going to reward us for seeking him, we'd find time to seek him. We'd ask and we'd ask again. We'd pray and we'd pray more. We'd set aside time, and then when times got harder, we'd set aside more time. We'd call on our brothers and sisters and say, pray with me because I need the Lord to show up, and I value your prayers. That would be the desire of our heart, wouldn't it? If we really believed that, I guarantee you if I said, hey, there is $1,000 stuffed in the seat of one of these chairs. If you find it, it's yours. There's two types of people in the room. People that would believe me, tearing apart all these poor church chairs, you sinners. And there'd be people who didn't believe me, and they'd say, yeah, right, and they'd leave. Pretty simple, right? I look at the Word of God the same way. We read the Word of God, and when God says, I'm going to reward those who diligently seek you, seek me. You know, he says, how much more will the Father pour out the Holy Spirit to those who ask? He has all these promises. The only God who answers the ones who wait for him. And there's only two types of people. There's the people who are going to believe the promise. And there's the people who don't. That's it. But if we aren't diligent, if we aren't expecting, how can we even say we have faith? So, it's very interesting. You know, God is merciful. And we see this story with Peter. And the, the disciples were praying, and there was a faith in the Lord, you know. And I'm sure there was a desperate cry from their heart, Lord, please do something. Do something. Or that they were willing to come together and to pray even in the middle of the night. So there was something happening. And I think a lot of us are like that. We do believe, we do have faith, we are willing to cry out in desperation. And so there's something happening, right? It's not like we're just completely missing it, but somewhere deep down there's also a place where we just don't really believe or we're really unsure or we don't understand that God has more for us if we're willing to ask and if we're willing to allow him to change our life. And the same God who rescued Peter by an angel, 
The same God who gives visions. The Bible says that the same power of God who raised Jesus Christ from the dead is present in you. In you. If you have truly received Christ. You know, there's an if there. But uh, um, if, it's in you. You don't have to try to get close to God. He's already there. You don't have to call him down. He's, in, he's, he's, he's present. But he is calling us to put the weight of our issues, to put the weight of our marriages, to put the weight of our relationships, to put the weight of our finances, of our emotional struggles, these things that we can't even begin to figure out, to put them on him and to pray and to wait on him to act. So to close tonight, I just want to reiterate a pretty pretty general call that tonight if you see in yourself that you know what man a lot of that's true there are things that I pray for that maybe I wasn't really expecting God to do much with or maybe you know there's a lot of things that I should have prayed for and I didn't because I didn't I wasn't sure if God would even answer for a lot of for a lot of people, it may be the fact that they had a faith, they had a hope in the Lord, but the louder and the louder the word the world got to them, no, that's not going to work. No, it's not going to happen. No, you're being foolish. Look, it's been a week and nothing's happened. That that voice got too loud, and they they gave up the hope that God has given us to latch back on to worldly expectations. Maybe that's maybe that's where you're at. But I want to call all of us, myself included, to lay all that aside, just to be honest with ourselves and to push off those expectations. I want us to understand where we have unbelief and unfaithfulness and, and cast those things off and say, you know what, Lord? I do believe your word. I do believe that you have something for me. Help my unbelief. And I want you to, to consider your life and to consider those around you who maybe are other Christians and figure out what, it, what would it look like for my life this week to seek the Lord more? Where are those places maybe that the Lord has already been putting on your heart to set aside time before you, before you go to work, at lunch, at night when you're watching, binge watching, you know, Golden Girls or whatever it is on Netflix and to say, I'm going to really start pushing that, those things aside to seek God. And one last thing, the fact that we as a church, we as a church body, we need to be more diligent and we need to have a greater confidence in our prayers before the Lord. Because up until recently, you know, even with all the people we, we had at the time, when we hosted a uh, one, one time a month, one hour, one day, each month. That's it, one hour. But we hosted a prayer meeting where we came and we just sat down and we just tuned out everything and we just cried out to the Lord for ourselves, for others, for the church, for whatever. Many times it was myself and one other person. And that's it. And that's it. 
And I'm not saying that to make anybody feel bad, because I'm going to be here whether, you're, whether you're not, you are or not. But as you're considering God's word and what it means for you, it's just something to think about. So tonight, let's pray and let's ask God to just to forgive us because we haven't sought the Lord the way he's desired us to, right? There have been things that we haven't fully trusted in him. There are things that we walk through and that we just said forget it for all of us. And so let's pray and ask him to forgive us and ask him to strengthen us so that we can walk in a worthy, a worthy manner that's pleasing to him. Father God, we thank you for this night, Lord. And we thank you that you're good. And that, Lord Jesus, that ah, your promise was that you were never going to leave us or forsake us. And you have kept that promise to generations, Lord. You kept it then in the book of Acts after your death. And you're keeping it now in our own lives. And so, Father, I just pray that you would forgive us, Lord. For all the times we felt the pull on our heart to stop and pray. And we ignored it. For all the times where we knew we needed to put down Facebook and just seek you, and we didn't. For all the times someone came to us and said, I need the Lord to work. And we gave him a pat on the back and say, I'll pray for you, and then forgot. Lord, forgive us for being so foolish. And forgive us for not loving you the same way you love us. So, Father, I pray that you would just cleanse us of that and that you would put a desire in our heart, Father, that you would anchor these words in our spirit and that we would choose and we would set aside time to seek you and we would have a joy and an eagerness to go and meet with other brothers and sisters and just set aside part of that time just to pray because, Lord, I believe that you are the only God who shows up and that you never fail. And so I pray that that would be the reality of all of our lives. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. So we're just going to end with a song. And actually, I think we're going to go ahead and end with a different song. But it's pretty simple. to how great let me see if I can even get that how great no maybe maybe I'll just do this there we go that'll help sorry about that Obviously, y'all need to pray for me too, so.